this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. So I'll let you guys get there. Hebrews chapter 12. A few of the guys in the ministry and myself, since we started the book of Hebrews, we've been talking about um, chapter 12. And the question's been, who was going to get uh, chapter 12? If you've never read through the book of Hebrews or you're not familiar with chapter 12, I hope that um, by the end of today you still would take the same view I have on this chapter. It's, it's an epic um, chapter in the book of Hebrews. And Pastor Steve uh, Venable, one of the pastors here at Selah, um, I've heard him teach through this chapter before. And probably um, one of the most epic teachings I've heard on it. And uh, in a private room, he turned this chapter over to me. So thank you very much. And it is a privilege um, to get a share out of this chapter with you guys this morning. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. I really can't imagine... uh, Anything else we could read this morning that would be as inspiring, as true, Lord, as sure, as certain for us to put our, uh, our whole lives in hope and faith and trust into your word, Lord. You've placed it above your name and you've given it to us as a guide, as a way of revealing yourself to us. So, Lord, do that work here this morning. We lift up. Uh, the team who's down in Southern Cal right now in Thousand Oaks, Pastor Michael, and uh, the Mudman crew. Lord, we pray that you um, would anoint Pastor Mike and Pam as they uh, bring the ministry of Pottersfield. And we pray that many burgers would be sold and provisioned for your kingdom, Lord, to keep your work going forth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, This morning we are going to make it through the first 11 verses. And next week we'll finish up with chapter 12. So here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So by now, I imagine most of you are quite scholarly. You see this word, therefore, you know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to answer the question, what it's there for. Uh, So if you were here last week, we were in Hebrews chapter 11. Pastor Steve Miller um, carried us through that chapter. And some things were mentioned even towards the end of chapter 11 that really is a continuation of where we're at this morning now, uh, even in these first two verses. Um, But really, as Hebrews chapter 11, we know it's this hall of faith, the faith chapter, and we see 17 different heroes of faith, and then several other works that are just, there's not time or room or place for these works to be attached to individuals. And then there's some closing thoughts in verses 39 and 40 as we roll into chapter 12. So we'll read those. And all these, though commended through their faith, all 17 just listed, all of the others who there wasn't time, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There's three things we're going to look at in those two verses uh, to launch us in to chapter 12. The first thing is this. They did not receive what was promised. So all of these who we learned about last week, there was a promise that they didn't yet receive. That you and I have received. Therefore... In light of the fact that we've received the promise that they were waiting for, therefore now for for you and I, all the more that we've received that promise, we should run the race with endurance. We should uh, weather the ups and downs, the 
mountaintops and the valleys, the highs and the lows, all the more than those who we learned about last week. And, and secondly now, uh, it says here that there's been provided something better for us. So not only have we received the promise that they were awaiting for, they were hoping for, there's something better that's been provided for us. And that's that we get to see and enjoy the work of Christ. This was the promise that they were waiting for, was the work of Christ. Now, for you and I, where for them, they were looking forward to what was to come, the work of Christ. For you and I now, we're looking back on it, and we can see it, and we get to enjoy the work of Christ. And in light of that, all the more then, therefore, may, may we, if we're surrounded by these witnesses, then may we too run this race with endurance. And so as we're, we're launching out, and then the last thing that we see here is that um, they should not be made perfect. And that simply just means that um, they wouldn't be complete without the completed work of Christ yet in their lives. And we now know that the work of Christ has completed and perfected all that He had sought out to do. But as we talk about the steadfastness of these heroes of the faith, just understand, I'm sure this was expounded upon last week, and if you weren't here, um, we might think steadfastness in our day, we think maybe, um, you know, like, all right, I've, I've persevered through the drive through line at McDonald's. And they're promised to get it out in 60 seconds, and it took them two minutes, but I persevered, and I, I waited through the line, and I made it, and I didn't lose my cool, and I kept my temper. If you weren't here last week, and even if you were, let's be reminded, the steadfastness that uh, these heroes of the faith exercised, we see in verses 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about and skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And now, therefore, because they did all of that, awaiting the promise that you and I now have, therefore, we find ourselves here in verse 12, since we are in chapter 12, in verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And uh, literally, this word witnesses is one who is a spectator of anything. And in the context that we're going to find ourselves this morning of a race, it can be a spectator then uh, in, a, in a race. And um, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So the, the classic illustration here now is if you can imagine as a racer in a race, you're in an auditorium, and this auditorium is, is filled now with these heroes of the faith. It's filled with those who have finished the race, and they're now in the audience, they're in the crowd, and they're there witnessing to us, cheering us on, encouraging us. So if you can just imagine, if, if you're a racer in this race now, and you're running along, and all of a sudden, off to your side, there's David. And David's in the crowd. He's, he's in the audience, and he's, he's shouting out to you. It's by faith. It's by faith that I did it. That giant, that giant that's standing between you and the Lord, who is that giant? That he would defy the armies of the living God. It's by faith. And as we continue running along, then we see Noah. There's Noah over there. And Noah's saying to us the same thing, it's by faith. He's, he's testifying, he's witnessing to us, it's by faith that I did it. It's by faith I set out and built an ark. I did something that's never been done before. I talked about things people have never heard before. It's by faith that I did it. And then you keep going, and then maybe it is that there's Abraham. And there's Abraham encouraging us, shouting to us, it's by faith that I did it. 
And there he's saying, I went out by faith. I went in to a foreign land, to an unknown land. Take the step of faith. Go for it. Do it. Step out. It's by faith. And then maybe there's Rahab who we come across, who we learned about last week. And Rahab is saying, it's by faith. It's by faith that I was saved. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter uh, where you've been. It's by faith that I was saved. It's by faith that we're saved. And all of these heroes of faith, they're, they're surrounding us. This witness, they're witnessing to us of their faith in God. And how it was by faith that they ran this race. And now these are the witnesses that were being encouraged, that were being made aware of, were surrounded by this morning. However, what you and I both know is probably true. Is that in today's uh, world, it's possible we're surrounded by a cloud of so many different voices. So many different witnesses, so many different people uh, speaking into our lives. So who's surrounding you? Who's witnessing to you? What are they testifying? What cloud is resting over your life? What voices have influence and are, have power over your life? Raising a child is uh, unlike anything I've ever done before. The reason why is every day there's, it seems like there's something new. There's something new to learn, to navigate, to figure out. You can really get lost getting on the internet, looking at blogs. There's so many opinions. There's so many different uh, suggestions out there of um, what to do. This opinion, that opinion. And it's just one little way that I realized There are so many witnesses out there. There's such a great cloud that can rest over our lives. There's so much that's influential to us, surrounding us. And we need to realize this morning we're in a race. And if we're not in the race, let's get in the race. And that's what uh, this morning's um, verses are going to talk about. See, the author of Hebrews is um, establishing for us a theme. It's a common theme that comes up throughout um, the New Testament, the writings of Paul. He often likens the faith um, in in this race that we're on. He, He likens it to that of an athlete who is running in a race. And that word race, it it literally can, if you look it up, it means um, any struggle or a battle. So as we're using that word this morning, you're thinking race. The race, know that the race is a struggle. And the race that we're in, it's a battle. We're battling, and it's by faith that we're battling, but it's, we're in a race. And the words that we are getting this morning from the author of Hebrews, it's, it's serious, because these are the words that will help us finish the race. That's what's being discussed this morning as we look at Christ to finish the race that was put before Him, who's our example, and and more than that, He's our Lord. And so we continue on, then let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's where we see this word race. We're, we're talking about now what it looks like to run a race. And now we're being instructed to lay aside weights and sins. Simply put, this is the difference between the gray areas and the black and white areas of life. All right? Weights are the gray areas. They're the areas that Scripture doesn't directly come out and address. Scripture, for these gray areas, these weights, it doesn't specifically say, um, do this or don't do this. It's, it's an area that's sort of left open for us to um, draw our own interpreta- interpretation on what might be a weight in our life. It's different than sin. Whereas Scripture, with sin, very black and white, addresses and deals with sin as sin. And we'll... Look at that in just a second. I want to keep talking about these weights. There's one scripture verse that is uh, great to bring into this matter. 
when we're talking about weight. So 1 Corinthians 10, in verse 22, and in the NIV it just gave a simple reading way of looking at it. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So what Paul was communicating at this point to the Corinthians is that, sure, you can do anything, or as your translation might put it, all things are lawful. However, realize that doesn't mean that it's going to benefit you. It doesn't mean it's going to help you along. And now in our context, in the race, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's constructed, that it's going to get you where you're going and get you there quicker. Weights are anything that's going to weigh us down. It's going to slow us down. It's going to hinder us. It's going to keep us from running the race with the agility and the speed that we could otherwise. And now as we keep playing through then with this author-given theme of running, we, we take this idea of weights and we take it right back uh, to the one who's in a race. So now it's, it's game day. This is, this is the, the big day of the race. And never have you seen a racer stepping up to the line with his weight vest on, his um, resistance parachute and his speed sack and ankle weights and um, everything else that he uses as a weight to train with. And the reason why is because with all of those weights, it would slow him down. He's not going to be able to run the race with endurance. So why is it that we're showing up to the race with our bag full of weights? Why is it then that so often I find we can find ourselves showing up to the race all weighted down? These weights, they're a personal thing. It's something between you and the Lord. It's not something I can stand up here and give you a list of what weights you need to rid yourself of. This is a personal uh, process for you to go before the Lord and ask Him, what is it that's in your life that might be lawful? That, that might be okay, but isn't being constructive. It's not benefiting you. It's not helping you get where He wants you to go. These are the weights. And now the sins of which we don't have to question or wonder. It's not a guessing game. These are the black and the white things that, again, uh, would weigh us down. Um, but sin is sin, and the Scripture is clear here. Sin is those who are sexually um, immoral, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, um, orgies, and things like these. And this is the list of uh, the deeds of the flesh that come out of Galatians chapter 5. So now let's move on and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Um, this word, run, it, it means to just uh, strive hard, to exert all of oneself. So now we're, we're putting all that we have into this race. We're, we're running in such a manner that we're, we're all in. And then endurance. Maybe if you're using the King James Version, it translates it, patience. But understand, this is not the type of patience that sometimes we can think of where uh, as we think patience is um, something that we're, we're sitting, waiting patiently. This is an active patience. There's active behind this type of um, waiting. So often, for one, um, it's so hard for us to be patient. And, and secondly, with that, we can mistake the patience that, that we're asked to exercise before the Lord as if we're being punished. Like it's some form of punishment, like we've done something wrong and now we're being forced to wait it out. Waiting on the Lord is not punishment. Patience is not punishment. Uh, I was just trying to think up of um, a way that I could explain what actively waiting looks like. And the example was coming to mind of engagement. Um, so in the engagement 
season. It's a very active season. It's a season where you're planning, you're preparing, you're investing time, money, you're, you're thinking about it all, looking for a place to get married, going to the rental place, what am I going to wear, what are our groomsmen, bridesmaids going to wear, all of it. You're, you're in a place where you're actively working at this thing, but at the same time, you're waiting. You're waiting for that day. You're waiting for the day that you're going to get married. And until that day, you're not going places that you don't have permission to go until that permission has been granted. And what if the things that we were waiting on, waiting on the Lord for, what if in that same manner of that engagement season where we're actively and yet waiting at the same time, what if that's the way that we were waiting on the Lord? Active in our pursuit in Him and yet waiting for permission to be granted for whatever it is that the Lord might be uh, holding us for. As we move into uh, verse 2 now, looking to Jesus, the founder of, and perfecter of our faith. That word looking can also almost get exchanged for um, redirect. Because the idea behind this word looking is that we're turning our eyes away from, from one thing to set them onto another thing. So it's, it's more of a redirect that's happening. We're redirecting our gaze to Jesus, looking away from one thing and looking onto Him. And we can get... Um, so tripped up within this sometimes. Because we get to looking at everything. We get to looking at someone else's race. We get to looking at what they're wearing, what they're showing up in, where they came from. And we're forgetting to look to Jesus. We're looking on to all these other things. Alright, we're in the race. We're racers. But now what? Now we get caught up and tripped up looking in all of these wrong places. I'll, I'll probably never use video games as a positive illustration again. Um, but I just had the picture of a gamer come to mind. This gamer is so fixed on his video games and on the TV screen in front of him. You could throw pizza at him and he just doesn't even blink. He keeps gaming, you know, he can't miss a step. And uh, this is the type of focus. Actually, if you look in the NASB... This verse is trans translated uh, in the NASB as actually being fixed on Jesus. And that's the type of laser lock focus that we're being instructed here now to have on Him, to be fixed on Him. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, He's, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's, he's got you. He's got every one of us. I think it's easy that sometimes we can either start in the Lord and then attempt to try to finish it on our own. Or maybe we want to start it on our own and we have this lifetime um, blueprint for life, some big plan that we're going to give Him the reins at the end of our life. But we're going to start it and we'll let Him finish it. But he's the, he's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the starter and the finisher, the author and the perfecter. That's who he is, and that's who we're looking to. And, and you're his. Start to finish. You and I are his. Everything in between. That means all the mess, he's picking that up. It's not for us to have to pick it up and try to work it out along the way. Like he's going to be there, he kick-started us, and he'll be there to give us a high five at the end of the race. He is there through it all. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him. Um, not to be mistaken with that the cross in and of itself was not the place that the Lord was drawing His joy from. Think about a, a racer. Think about someone who's now running, and they're running for what? They're running for the prize. That's the thing they're running for. They're looking forward to that moment of being crowned victor. 
And in the same case for Christ, that's what the joy was, that moment of being crowned, knowing that when, when He was crowned and Jesus is victor, that death no longer has victory over sin. That Jesus is victor, He's overcomer. It's the joy of being able to bring us victory over sin, freedom from sin, forgiveness of sin. This was what the joy was that was before Him. It was you and I. It was the joy of being able to redeem us, to restore us back into a right standing relationship with the Lord. To bring communion and fellowship back, to make a way. This was the joy. And secondly, I think there were two things perhaps that we could say was bringing the Lord joy in light of uh, the cross and looking beyond at what was to come out of it. But quite simply, in the moment, for Jesus, we know this to be true of Him. I delight to do Thy will, O God. Jesus, what brought Him joy was simply doing the will of the Father, knowing that He was where the Father wanted Him to be, about His dad's business, simply knowing that He was in the will of God. And I wonder, do we have that joy in our life? Do you have the joy knowing that you're in the Lord's will in your life? Do you know what God wants you to do? Do you know that your life is in harmony, that it's, it's centered, it's, it's right within the perfect will of God, of what He wants for you and His plan for this world and, and your part in it? As we move on now, despising the shame. This word despise means to think little or nothing of. So now imagine, here's Christ. And, and as we have the Gospels giving us some insights into this journey that He was on, the journey as He was headed to the cross, and he, He's despising the shame. It's, it means to think little or nothing of. But imagine if He had not thought little or nothing of. When they spat on Him, when they mocked Him, when they beat Him, when they were dividing up His garments right there in front of Him. If He had allowed the things that people were saying about Him to get to Him, would He have ever made it? Would He have ever made it to the cross? If these things, if the shame was not despised, if it was not put off, if he didn't think little of it, would he have been derailed? And one of the greatest hindrances in our race is what people say about us. Not just the bad things, but also the good things. You see, both of these things have a way of getting to us, have a way of sidelining us, can have a way of derailing us. The illustrations found when you think of a celebrity. Look at the type of platform that they're placed on. And look at the things that people say about them. Both good things and bad things. And at it, it, the pressures of what is being said to them, they cave. And then you end up with a bald-headed lady like Britney Spears because <laughs> she couldn't take it. But for you and I, there might be something that someone said to us that we're thinking a lot about it. And it, as we're in this race, we learn from the Lord who ran on this earth to despise the shame, to think little or nothing of. Whatever that person said about you that's just, you can't shake it. It's, it's stuck. It's, it's everything you filter goes through this statement of what they've said about you, it's got a grip on you. Despise it. Think little or nothing of it. Be freed of it. It will hinder your race. It will keep you from running the race the Lord has set before us. And finally, we see here, uh, and is seated, this is Jesus, He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus finished His race. He's seated. He's done. His, his work is done. His work here is accomplished. And, and He's finished. And as we've looked through Hebrews, we understand He's not a, a sleeping 
uh, intercessor. He's not asleep up there on the seat. He's actively interceding for you and I. But He's finished. His race, His work, it's done. So if Jesus has finished, then in verse 3 we pick up and continue. Consider Him then. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider, we're, we're now being said, just think about Jesus for a minute now. Consider Him. And, and when you're weary, when you're faint-hearted, consider Him. Faint-hearted, cowardly, easily depressed, and yielding to fear. When we are faint-hearted, what ought we to do? Consider Him. There's a devotion out of morning and evening, and I've, I've uh, pulled out most of it. This one, when I read it years ago, it really stuck with me, and I want to read this for us, so... This is off of the verse Luke twenty two forty four. His sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The mental pressure arising from our Lord's struggle with temptation so forced his frame to an unnatural excitement that his pores sent forth great drops of blood, which fell down to the ground. If you're not familiar with this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, he's, he's sweating drops of blood now at this point as he's in complete agony. This proves how tremendous must have been the weight of sin when it was able to crush the Savior so that he distilled great drops of blood. This demonstrates the mighty power of His love. Now, get this about you and I here. If men suffer great pain of mind, apparently the blood rushes to the heart. The cheeks are pale. A fainting fit comes on. The blood has gone inward, as if to nourish the inner man while passing through its trial. But see our Savior in His agony. He is so utterly oblivious to self that instead of His agony driving His blood to the heart to nourish Himself, it drives it outward to the earth. Then we finish with this thought in here. Do we not perceive how intense must have been the wrestling through which He passed? And will we not hear its voice to us? Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. Behold the great apostle and high priest of our profession and, and sweat even to blood rather than yield to the great tempter of your soul. So I'm, I'm asking, I think the text is asking us, next time we grow weary, next time we grow faint-hearted, next time we're thinking about wanting to quit or wanting to give up, consider, just think about and answer this question. Is it really so bad? Have I resisted my flesh to the point that I really can't take it anymore? And the answer is found in this. Are you sweating blood? Then, then no. Because He ran the race and He resisted sin to the point of shedding blood and ultimately shedding His blood on the cross, denying His flesh of which the battle was settled in Gethsemane. And the blood shed in Gethsemane was the real battle being won. The cross was just the as, as Pastor Mike has pointed out to us, if there was no Gethsemane, there would have been no Calvary. That's where the battle was fought and the flesh was overcome. So verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgotten those three words? We can trace back many of our problems in the Christian life and probably find somewhere within there that phrase, have you forgotten? So often the difficulties that come on our walk that get in the way and trip us up in our race is that we simply forget. We're forgetful people. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Here it is. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. 
For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So, here we're going to talk now as we close out uh, this morning's section of of Scripture. We're going to talk about the discipline of the Lord. And everybody's cheering and amening. The discipline of the Lord. One definition, instruction which aims at increasing virtue. Let's read on to the last verse 11 that we're going to look at, and then we'll sort of take this as one chunk here. So we'll pick up in verse 7 is where we left off. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Those who have been trained by it are training for the race. Where you and I get trained up for the race is through discipline. Every good athlete who competes in a race has a trainer. So this morning we meet our personal trainer who goes by the name Discipline. Discipline is our trainer, Scripture's teaching us. And the Lord, we have to catch the Lord's heart as we're talking about this subject of discipline. The Lord comes to us in the father-son relationship. He wants to address us as sons. He could have come at us many different angles. He could have approached it as a master-servant relationship and talked about a master disciplining his servant. But notice the Lord wants us to pick this up and to realize this discipline is in the context of the deep-rooted love that a father has for his son. And I, I only know four months of that. But I can tell you it's, it's deep. And I know that it will only go deeper. And I know how horrible my love is. And if, if I think there's a deep root I have for my son and how failing my love is and how weak it is, then how much more the love of the Heavenly Father for us as His children. And so we understand first here, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves. The other night I was on the phone with Pastor Mike and this subject actually came up. The Lord disciplines... The one he loves. But also, think about it and it gets put this way. The Lord loves the one he disciplines. He first loves us before he disciplines us. He makes it a point to come to us in this father-son relationship. Establishing a, a relationship. Establishing the love and affection and the provision of a father. This is the discipline of the Lord. That he's coming to us in. So he first establishes the relationship. And for you and I, as we apply at any point in our life, having to exercise discipline in the life of another, it's important we, we realize that relationship uh, before discipline and, and establishing love before we just roll over someone. So discipline is our trainer. The scripture also says this morning, discipline is good. Look in verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Discipline, it's for our good. The discipline of the Lord keeps in mind our best interest. It keeps in mind what's best for you and I. What's, what's good for you and I? At the end of the day, what's going to profit us most? That's what the discipline of the Lord is, is keeping in mind as it comes to us. 
It's a love of a father who's, who's willing to pull aside his son and, and show him, son, there is, there is a better way than the way that you are headed. As a father imparts discipline to his son, we could really say discipline is now vision. It's, it's vision being imparted. It's, it's one who's giving sight to another. A father gives sight to his son and he pulls him aside and he says, Son, you were made for more than this. You've been created for something greater. You're settling for less. There's more to life than what you're living. And, and the love of a father who sees more and knows more and our heavenly father who sees all and knows all and, and disciplines us because he's training us, because he's giving us vision, because he knows we can't see as we should. Now, I'm more times than not have been the recipient of receiving this, more of the son, less of a father, probably due to my age. My son, there's not a lot of disciplining these days. He's four months, and I feel like I'm getting in more trouble over what he does than he does right now. So, anyway, I just, I, I could go on for days about the times that the Lord's faithfully intervened. But one thought just that came to mind, because I want to share the benefit of, of the fruit as Scripture's talking here. There will come fruit out of it. It may be painful in the moment. I've, I've toured with Pastor Mike and Pam for maybe six years or so on and off now. And one of the first times as I got out on the road, um, I found myself when I should have been getting the stage broke down so we could get the vehicles loaded so the people who were going to wait at the church for us, could get home, um, I found myself talking to this person and that person, and Pastor Mike had to just come up and remind me, hey, you're, I didn't bring you out here to talk to everybody. You're here right now for the task of breaking down the stage. And in that moment, sure, there's, there's some pain in that. It's, it's a hard saying. However, as I faithfully broke that stage down, and, and followed in what I was there for. I've been introduced to more people. I've been given opportunity and open doors to more relationships. I've had more opportunities come out of by just simply being there and, and accomplishing what it was. And so had I missed out on that, had I not been able to just realize, this is what I'm here for, let me be faithful in my task and then await the invitation, of which has come now time and time again. And more conversations that I could ever have uh, entered into on my own. So for the moment, we, we know discipline then is our trainer. Discipline is good. And also, Scripture teaches us discipline for the moment. All discipline seems painful. And we're going to close up on these thoughts all discipline seems painful. I thought maybe you guys didn't hear me. I didn't hear anybody amen that. <laughs> All discipline seems painful. All right. Scripture's saying it here. So, ask any good athlete who has a trainer. No pain, no gain. If there is no pain, there is no gain. And in the same context for you and I, within the discipline of the Lord, if there isn't pain, there won't be any gain. Discipline. It doesn't feel very good. If it felt good, it wouldn't be disciplined. Look at uh, what Spurgeon wrote here. If affliction seemed to be joyous, would it be a chastisement at all? I ask you, would it not be a most ridiculous thing if a father should so chasten a child that the child came downstairs laughing and smiling and rejoicing at the flogging? Joyous? Instead of being at all serviceable, would it not be utterly useless? What good could a chastisement have done if it was not felt? Then surely no benefit. I want to give one more definition of discipline as we're going to close up. Discipline can also be uh, whatever cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes. So this process of correction, I had an illustration coming to mind about it. 
over the summer, as we inherited this uh, new ranch property in the spring, um, it came time to do some work on the road out at our property. There's a long easement access road that we have. And this road, after the spring rains and, and the snow melt, this road had potholes all over it. The road was in, in rough, rough shape. It was in horrible condition. And uh, so we had to get out the tractor and we had to make use of the attachments that we had. The first step in this whole process is to use a tool attachment that's called a scarifier. That's, that sounds like a, a fun starting process, right? Let's get out the scarifier. But the issue is, if the road doesn't get scarified, we're talking about cultivating, we're talking about correcting, fixing these, these potholes. If the road doesn't get scarified, if, if you don't come out a pothole from its lowest point and break down the walls around it, and you just bring in new material and spread it over, you're only covering up that pothole that will eventually expose itself. It, it will come back. And so the first step is to break it down, is to scarify it. It's, it's painful. Just looking at behind the tractor from time to time, watching these teeth digging into the ground, it, I could only imagine the, the stress and the pressure on the tractor as it's digging into the, the ground, breaking up this hard pack. And then it's time to bring in new material. Now you bring in the gravel, and the next attachment is the box scraper. Still scraper, not necessarily the most joyable sound, um, but the box scraper is what you use next to spread out the new material. And if you don't bring in new material and you just spread around what's been broken up, it's not going to cut it. Because the rock that was once there has this way of just disappearing. I don't know where it goes, but it just goes away. So you have to bring in new rock, more rock. We didn't do this. The potholes came back. Uh, but I'm convinced new material is what we were missing. Because the new material now is able to spread out, add that uh, pack you need with your new fresh foundation. And the last step, the last and final step, you use this attachment. It's called a fine tooth rake or a comb and now you've broke it up you've put on the new material you've leveled it out and then you get to come and comb it out and it's a much gentler process it's a much more grace, gracious process it's the finishing step to comb it out it, it leaves the final look it leaves nice straight lines down the driveway and at the end of this correcting process, you now are left with what? A smooth surface. You're left with a road. A road that you can travel on. You can go faster down it. You can create more ripple effects because you can go too fast on it. That's why we have a speed line limit, you know, posted. So, observe. 15 miles an hour. Because <laughs> it messes up the road. But a road that's been broke down and, and repaired and corrected, it's now enjoyable. It's now something that you can go along and you're not dodging potholes. You don't have to speed up and slow down. You see where this process, it's only for the good. It's only for the, the benefit. And it brings about what we're going to look at last here is peaceful fruit. See in verse 11, for the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the peaceful fruit. Um, we get real rubbed and bent out of shape when we don't see fruit come right away. But only, only a child would put a seed in the ground and expect to come back the next day and have it be a tree that's already bearing fruit. You see, if, if discipline's a trainer and if it's painful at first and it's the Father's way of planting seeds of growth into our life, it takes time. And, and we cannot grow weary in that process. We can't become discouraged. We can't become faint-hearted in this process. And I'll now reiterate the beginning words, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. 
It's not something for us to just regard lightly or view as a, a simple thing. It's a vital thing. It's vital for our growth. It's what produces fruit in our life, Scripture teaches us. And, and also it tells us here at the end of verse 10 that we may share His holiness. No discipline, no sharing in His holiness. No sharing in His holiness where we're going to go next week. I'll just point out this one little piece. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So no discipline, no holiness, then no one gets to see the Lord. So as His children, as His sons and daughters, wouldn't we understand the love of the Father to discipline us that we might look more like Him, that others might see Him and come to know Him? Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So we have looked at this morning how we're in a race. This is the race we're in. Our race, we have a personal trainer, the trainer discipline. That trainer is, is working in us fruit, growth. We also have these heroes of the faith who are witnessing to us. They're around every bend. They're saying, I've been there, I've done that. And it was by faith that I was brought through that. You could go in, go through those 17 and just fill in the ways that their voices might be speaking into your life. We didn't have time for doing that this morning. And we need to lay aside these weights and sins. Maybe for you it is that there's a weight and, and it's personal for you to know what it is that's keeping you. You know what's slowing you down. It's, it's for that to be put off this morning. And then maybe our our direction, where our eyes are fixed, there we need that redirect. We need to look away from something onto the Lord, who is He's got us. He's the the author. He's the beginner. He's the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And maybe it is that you found yourself being that one, who there's a voice that's got that grip on you. And just despise it. Despise that voice. Think little or nothing of it. Don't even give thought to it. Don't allow it that place in your life. And uh, maybe it is too that you just don't know of that joy. The, the joy of what it is to be in the will of the Lord. To be delighting in doing what the Lord would have for you to do. So... Uh, the worship team, you guys can come back up and I'll pray us out. Father, we thank you for the word that we heard this morning. We thank you for the race that you ran for us. That we now have the promise that...